Welcome to episode four with Beck Adams of Columbia Records. Uh, this episode was recorded back in March of this year. We talk a little bit about the George Ezra album that had just been released back then. So obviously timelines and the like, you've got to take that into consideration here. But it was amazing sitting down with Beck. I've known Beck for a number of years. She actually lived around the corner from myself and a number of friends when I lived in South London during my time at Peer Music and then at Sound Lounge. Um, and she's great to chat with. She's ridiculously positive all the time, um, but also she's amazingly driven and on point with everything that she does. Uh, she's been at Columbia now for the better part of eight years, so she's got a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge to talk about when it comes to the inner workings of major record labels, especially from a product slash marketing manager's perspective. Um, and we also had some really interesting chats about just the, the nature of being an Australian coming over to the UK and finding work in the music industry, as well as her take on some of the issues surrounding diversity and mental health. Uh, mental health especially being something that she is getting really, really strongly on board with at the moment. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing chat. She took the time out to have me in the Columbia offices in uh, in Kensington, even though I managed to get the date wrong for our meeting, but she, she snuck me in anyway. So anyway, enough of me. Here's my chat with Beck Adams. I'm alright, how are you? Good, very good. How is Sony at the moment? Sony's good, Sony's really good. We just uh, released George Ezra, the, his new album, so specifically for Columbia Records. Mm -hmm. uh, it's above and beyond what we expected, so everybody's super happy. George is a wonderful man and... Uh, An alumni of one BIM. Right, yes. Yes, um, yes. But he's worked really, really hard and serves everyone here, so it's going to be number one. So it's good. So there's good cool, vibes cool. in here. President of Columbia took us all to the pub yesterday after work. Nice. For a cheeky, cheeky drink to celebrate. Nice. So it's good. Good vibes in, yeah, you've chosen a good week. <laughs> <laughs> Ticking a box, yeah. smashing stuff. So, I mean, what is it like at major record labels these at the moment? Uh, it's... It's, it's hard. It can be really, really hard. There's less of us, uh, even mm -hmm. though it looks packed in this label at the moment. There's, say, 45 people in Columbia, but at... Uh, we can definitely feel the difference between when somebody starts new in Columbia, so we've had some new people start, and they may not be up to the same pace, and we don't realise how fast we're working. Right. Um, how, many, how many artists we're all working? So I work almost 20 artists, which is kind of 
a bit nuts. If you think Has, there's one of me, that's my roster. When, was, when, did, when did that roster become your roster and does it change quite regularly? It changes all the time. So I got a new artist yesterday. Nice. So it depends. So, um, and it depends on deal structures and everything else. But for example, so uh, at any one time, say 20 of those acts might be highly active. We're working towards albums or we're charting singles. And then there might just be stuff that's going on in the background, which is like kind of, it's, they're still active, but there's not much, mm -hmm. not as much um, work. So uh, yeah, we, we get acts from the US labels, so RCA and Columbia and Epic in the US. How long have you been? Columbia. Here now? Uh, seven years, just almost eight. That's somewhat unheard of. Yes. In the modern industry. Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the, what's keeping you here? What's the appeal? A lot of things, number of things. So, should I give you a backstory? Yeah, go for it. Great. So, moved over from Australia. Yep. Within a week of being in Hence this... the accent. <laughs> what accent? Mate, um, the, yeah, being here for a week, I managed to score myself an interview, I think in this room, at Columbia Records and with their head of marketing at the time. And I already, it was as a marketing assistant. I was already, in Australia, I was already kind of the next level up, not by much, because there's many, many, many rungs on the ladder of marketing. You spent some time at Warner yes. in Australia. Yes. And an indie. No, no, just Warner. Just Warner. So I've only worked for majors and before that at a like independent record store. Ah, right. So yeah, came over within a week, met the head of marketing at Columbia, just kind of off my bat. No, like it was, it was kind of organized by a recruitment agency, but um, no real connections here mm -hmm. uh, as yet. And then, yeah, by Monday I'd started because I was kind of overqualified. It's a weird mix of being an Australian and being you know, a smaller territory and, and coming with that experience and how much that's valued, but also knowing how to do the work. So what's, what's the, the big differences between the music business in the UK and the music business in Australia? So obviously the biggest difference is the size of it, but the calibre of artists. So in Australia, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot less domestic music coming through um, and a lot of like they have to be really careful with them, um, you know, like just like it is here with the BBC, you have to pay a certain amount of British music. In Australia, you have to pay a certain amount of Australian music. I right. just think- So that does come into- Yeah, definitely. Into but there's then. so much um, British music and American music coming through Australia. So I found that in, at Warner's back home, we were working a lot of international rep. There was one marketing manager working domestic artists, whereas here, like half my roster is, is British or maybe European, but it's not, you know. Would, would you say that Australian music lacks a proper identity of itself? Especially because it shares mm. a language with the UK and America. Yeah. And it's called Anglo-American and things like <laughs> that, which doesn't really yeah. help yeah. stuff. But then what about the opportunities in Australia for those coming to it? I mean, it's, it's a long way away. Yes. <laughs> It's paradise. Never uh, been myself, but <laughs> um, so uh, having been having been here for eight years, yeah, I've been told, and I also get a sense that if I was to take my experience here in the UK, regardless of whether or not I worked at a major, or if I worked in India, if I worked at a promoter, any 
music industry experience in the UK um, would be worth tenfold at home. So I would, I would, I would move up quite considerably. But are there the positions? No, it's yeah. Is it one of those things where Smaller you, you pond, yeah, think, thinking in those terms, you go, oh, brilliant, I'll just move back home and run the label. Yeah. But there's, that job there's isn't necessarily going to be available. Definitely. Yeah. But then there's also the case of how valuable the experience is here and you would line it up and all of that stuff. But it's, yeah, it's a bigger fish, smaller pond mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Um, so, yeah, so I was a marketing assistant here um, and, and, like I said, worked my way up every step of that glorious marketing ladder. Mm-hmm. So I was a junior product manager and believe it or not, when I was a junior product manager, there were only two people working in Colombia, uh, just from people leaving, moving on, shifts and changes. I was working on Tom Adele when I was a junior product manager and Peace, both artists were sound pole artists and, uh, and they were great, obviously they're both incredible artists. but. Um, but it was mad to me that I was so inexperienced and was working to, you know, hugely um, important acts and quite well known and, you know. So, so then everything kind of got fast-tracked a little bit. I was then a product manager, marketing manager, they now call it. And, and then since then, you know, I've become a senior marketing manager, which has been great. Um, I, you kind of, as a senior marketing manager, you have more um, control, well, not control, but input into what artists that you work. Um, you put yourself forward for more. I'm developing three of the marketing assistants that work here and um, managing their time. And, and yeah, you're kind of a, a bigger player, in the, obviously, in the department, but also in the label. So you mentioned that marketing manager and product manager are kind of the same thing. Mm. Why do they have different names? Yeah. So... <laughs> I've asked that many times, <laughs> and the the answer to that, and it's different at every label. At a at Atlantic and Warner, I think they call them label managers. Um, at at Universal, they're called many different things. But the main reason mm-hmm. is so there's an opportunity to promote you to the next level. If you're a product manager, or at, you know the next stage up, I guess you can ask for as a marketing manager. So I guess there's something always to negotiate, and product managers and marketing managers, I guess, earn different amounts. It's just like a, basically to identify that there's a, there's a pay difference, salary difference, and also experience. So right. if they, but you, but you most certainly can go from a junior product manager to a marketing manager. So what, what are the, what's the role of a product manager? Uh, what do you do? It, so, the, so to be completely honest, the role for a junior product manager, product manager, marketing manager, and senior marketing manager, is essentially the same. It is like day to day, you are the project lead on a number of campaigns for a set list of artists that you have as your roster. Mm-hmm. So, um, and as the project lead, there's a lot of things. Like it's just with a junior product manager, you're going to probably be working one-off uh, tracks or singles um, from artists that we may not sign on for more than yeah, one or two tracks. It might not be an album deal, or it might be. Internet. So you're, work, you're working with the very the newer the n- acts, yeah. the yeah. acts that might be on a, a, a shorter term deal, a development deal, or anything exactly. Like that. Yeah. Or you may be given acts that are signed out of the US. Everything is essentially created for you, and it's a <clears> process of scheduling releases, making sure everything goes out on time, 
and 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 kind of letting the internal co- like company know that it's coming. So it's kind of understanding the foundation of marketing rather than so it allows you to learn mm-hmm. essentially, which I think is the right way to do it. Um, but day to day, as a marketing person, whether it's all of those levels, even our heads of marketing works work acts. Um, it's yeah, it's essentially being the project lead, so being responsible and accountable for making sure that a campaign, everything that you've kind of set out to achieve is is on point, that all the branding and positioning around an artist is on point, that you're also the contact for everyone. So the manager, the artist themselves sometimes, mm-hmm. interesting emails from America asking, you know, strange questions and choosing whether or not it's appropriate to respond. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, also being like the, the person leading all of the communication internally and externally. So like the label meetings that we have every Monday, being the spokesperson for a project. Yep. Regardless if it's your work, it could be you're talking about something an external radio plugger has achieved, but you're the spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then there's approvals, budgets, you know, how everything looks. That's a lot. <laughs> Somebody once used the analogy, and it's a bit lame, but I'll put it clear in my mind. They said a marketing manager or a marketing leader or whatever is essentially like the captain of a ship. Mm-hmm. And the ship is the artist. And everybody needs, like the, the campaign, yep. the campaign. And everybody on the ship needs to know exactly what they're doing. And they're coming to you for direction, including mm-hmm. the artist, everything. And it all needs to, you know, for it to all work together, it all has to happen together. Literally everything. So that includes... Yeah all the other departments within the label so that includes the administrative side of things making sure that money is flowing to the right people at the right time or is that somebody else so within i mean there's there's a reason why there are so many people that work in sony it's not just one person leading putting it forward but as far as you know agreeing how much we're going to spend on a campaign these things may be laid out for us but i need to make sure that we're mm-hmm. maintaining them and keeping them you know and then at the you're, right you're talking to the a and r teams yes so regularly you're talking to the sync teams you're talking to yes. the brand partnership teams mm-hmm. you're all making sure that they're doing their jobs and they're hitting their targets and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. so they all have i mean they're huge departments and they all yeah. have somebody you know leading that team but Okay, so an example is at Sony now. They've um, started off uh, the fourth floor creative group. Right. Do you know about it? So, Cassandra Gracie, amazing woman, she's come in, she's been brought in as president of the fourth floor creative group or the creative group. Um, and that uh, has, so brand sync, licensing, video commissioning, graphic design, styling, all of that. So all that's been under her. Under one yes. department. Yes. And then all the different labels. Bolt into that and use that department as and when they need it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, exactly that. So anything. So we, you know, we would have a conversation really early doors. Um, like a great example right now is we're working on Tom Adele and uh, and you know earlier today I had a discussion with the creative commissioners and uh, he was there and management and and it's just making sure they're going to have a lot more input into you know what directors they might suggest or you know whatever but it's but my job is to make sure that it's all going through the right filter and that everything is you know on time at the budget it should be that it's 
that everybody has agreed that this is the direction we're going in, this is the positioning, this is how it's going to look, and, and making sure it's kind of yeah, going through that filter, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. talking about the job that you do every day it's like getting in your head going wait what do I do yeah, no. yeah. Um, was it was it always the plan was music always no. the plan what was the plan was there a plan <laughs> no honestly not really I didn't know what I was wanted to do after high school I had absolutely no clue and I knew that I wasn't ready to decide what uh, university subject I wanted to focus on. Mm -hmm. Like I, I thought at one point I wanted to go, but I didn't know what I wanted to focus on. Um, so I decided to take a year and, um, and decide. Now in that time I got offered a job at this wonderful independent record store, which unfortunately no longer exists in a bricks and mortar sense, it still exists as a company, Charisma. but it's called... How did you... I've done my research. Shout out to John Little. Um, so, that's very good. So, uh, I went and worked at this indie record store. It was great and, you know, he taught me loads about music and all these incredible artists and, um, you know, I met weird and wonderful people. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, I met reps from the record labels. Yes. They all came in and kind of did their thing and how much they really still do that, I'm not sure. So when was this? This was 2001. 2001, a very different time for very, the music industry. Very, very different. Now, wonderful people and I thought, I want to I want to get in on that. And then I got a job in their sales team. He, he kind of hooked me up with an interview and, uh, you know, I started really junior, but, you know, it's it was a little bit people you know, like, mm -hmm. which, you know, often is the case. Do you, do you still think that that is definitely something that governs the music industry. I don't, I'm, I'm loath to say it's not what you know, it's who you know, mm -hmm. because I think it's also what you know as well. Mm -hmm. But do you think that it's a relationship business, do you think that still very much governs who migrates through it well enough? I would have said yes about four years ago, but I don't think it's the case anymore, and okay, I'll tell you why. Because even though I think that's the way that I, I, I have to be really grateful of the people that helped me get to where I am, um, as far as getting in, foot in the door. And I, and I for a really long time when I was a uh, assistant, we had these interns that would come in. I won't name any names, but they were um, the children or the grandchildren of people that were either high up in the industry at some point, even children of musicians. Yep. Um, and they would come in and they would do three months or three weeks uh, work experience. Um, they wouldn't be paid for it, but it was something to put on their CV. And these and, and the work ethic sometimes was there and sometimes not. But it was always a friend of a friend. And that was, that was the who you know kind mm -hmm. of entry. In. And a lot of things changed when the laws changed where you had to pay. You couldn't just have work experience if people had to be paid interns. Well, not and for that long anyway. Not for that long. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so, we, so Sony introduced this internship program, which I think has helped, has changed the face of Sony. And Universal did it first. They'd been doing it for years. Um, but Sony, after that point, decided to do it. And the people that we have in now are incredible. They're from so many different walks of life. They, you know, it's not, 
it's not a carbon copy of the last person that we had in. It, they bring in with them so many different um, references for music like and, and from different age groups and backgrounds and not just London and not just, you know, from like a point where it, it used to be a situation where it was only available to those people, affordable for those people that could live with mum and dad in close proximity to the to the building, mm-hmm. you know, and to do that, you have to... I remember those times myself. Right. We'll, we'll pay you your Oyster card within London. And your lunch, I don't maybe. live in London. Mm. Tough. Brilliant. So that's kind of yeah. not the most helpful thing. Mm. But that's expanded out now and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, it's brilliant here. So the people that we've had... And, and the people that we've had working with us, because I'm part of the hiring process for the interns, and I mentor some of them and all of that, um, the process has been brilliant and really brought in some incredibly intelligent and um, creative people. Mm-hmm. And they have stayed on because we've just we couldn't possibly lose them. So, um, okay. so the last intern was then made an assistant. Right. The one we have now is incredible. Um, yeah, you it m- just you adds mentioned so that much. the teams grown exponentially i mean is, so is, is that the is that a is that a trend that you're seeing that there is there is opportunities are increasing well i think i i don't know that opp- there's more spaces but i think that certainly people are currently moving around a lot more like i am a rarity in the sense that i've been here for as long as i have and getting back to that point it sony music sponsored me to stay in this country helps it really does. It really does. That costs a lot of money and it's a lot of loyalty, I think, from mm-hmm. their side. So um, don't need to worry about that now. Permanent resident. Uh, <laughs> but I choose to stay because it's family out there. Yeah. But more so label-based. Mm-hmm. If they move me to RCA, I don't, like, they're all great people, but that's my family out there. So. But what if the next level up was you kind of leading things that... But you're in the no, but you're in the same building. Mm. It might not necessarily be within the same label, and it's so uh, it's potentially your opportunity to build the team, true, and all that sort of stuff. So it kind of changes, I guess. Can I take them all from Columbia? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I allow it. <laughs> Everything, everything has changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, how have, you know, major labels, there's only three of you now, mm. that's changed as well. Yeah. Um, arguably, you could say that there's a lot more diversity in the independent sector. Mm-hmm. Indies have a lot more going for them than they ever have done because of things like streaming and stuff like that. So what has changed within a major? So I remember it might have been, I'm going to say it was 2008 and I remember being at Warner's in Australia and everybody looking at this graph that basically showed uh, a line plummeting <laughs> to zero for, for physical releases by, by, now, like by now, you know, they, they imagined that physical wouldn't even exist. Mm-hmm. And I remember it feeling really like, wow, our days are limited and how will we exist through beyond this and what will happen? And it was kind of a bit sad state of affair, affairs. Um, and then now here we are and 
you know, there's a hell of a lot of people out there um, working their butts off to make it happen. But mm-hmm. um, w- the major thing that I've noticed is that whereas before, when I first started, it was like here, when I first started in 2010 here, there was a marketing manager, marketing assistant, varying degrees, and then there was two channel managers, no digital marketing, two channel managers, we're at a major record label and there was no digital marketing, two channel managers and uh, and then somebody at one point got hired in as a head of digital. Now we're in a case where that has all kind of come and gone, we've, we've got heads of digital, digital marketing, all of that, channel managers. Now we're in a stage where the role of a digital marketing manager and a marketing manager kind of forms into one. At Universal mm-hmm. they're already making them one role. That's right. for one. So I'm being told to be up, upskilled. Like I kind of am across a lot of it, but there's some stuff I'm not. And so it's like they're upskilling us. We've invested a lot of money here and a program In to upskill. Like yes, that. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, upskill us all so that eventually it will be a case of having these kind of almost like digital experts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, our, our channel managers who normally look after, you know, social media and whatever else, their roles are being changed to um, something, it's an it's audience-based role rather than feeling like, you know, they're not just posting something on Facebook. It's like, you know, they're building fan bases. That's, yeah, what, yeah. that's what their jobs are. So that kind of stuff's changed. I think also deal structures have changed, whereas before we would sign an artist, we would work a couple of singles and release an album, regardless if they're an album-focused artist. Now, we may work, we may sign for one deal and with a, with a follow-up option and never pick it up. Or we might sign for like one track and pick up a second and never get to an album and it, it'll all be renegotiated and you kind of assess everything based on one piece of music. Okay, so it's actually the, those relationships between the label and the artist are probably getting shorter. They can be, yeah. But they can also be, I mean, more intense, shorter, but you kind of have to prove yourself in one go. Especially from, I think, the whole thing with what does the record label provide now? Because a lot of people are doing it on their own. Like, Georgia Smith's doing it on her own. You know, I mean, she's a great example because she's so well-known. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what does a record label bring to the table? We always know they've brought money, the people, the expertise, uh, definitely the connections and who we can kind of build into it, but also um, international. So, you know, being able to have whoever over in the yeah, US yeah. pitch for our yeah. <laughs> pitch to work does internally. It work does, does America pitch so. for us? Does English stuff? Do they go, yeah. I don't think so. We might pitch to them. Um, yeah. So, I don't know, that there's definitely a shift there. What do you think the expectations are on both sides? What does an artist or a manager expect from a Sony Music? And what do you think Sony Music expects from its artists and also its employees Mm. these days? Um, I think it depends on who you ask. From an artist-manager perspective, I mean, I speak to them all at least once a day. Um, so it's constant communication. It's a lot of um, a lot of what we provide them is like just kind of so much data, so much data about everything that's going on because we have you know systems that have been built and put in place to give them the most you know finest detail about what's going on with their artists and so reporting all of that back. Um, I think it has to be far. It's far more transparent. So talking about this is how much money we're spending rather than just kind of going for like it's very yeah it feels far more open. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then the other side of it is, I think there's a real, there's a real frustration if an artist doesn't come to the table as far as participating in their own campaign. You know, if you don't have, some artists may not have a personality or or want to drive their, you know, social media presence forward. But that's not to say that we can't work on something together. So it's like it, it doesn't. You're not all going to be George Ezra, where he's chatty, funny, and made his own podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but but you may be in a situation where you can collaborate with you know the digital team and and come up with a way to put out who you are. And it's just like the the only frustration is if those people don't come to the party. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wanted, to, I wanted to get your opinions on some of the, the various things that have been cropping up mm-hmm. of late within the creative industries yes. when it relates to diversity mm-hmm. and gender equality and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Someone who has been in the same building for seven years, mm-hmm. who has worked her way up, who is in uh, a building that actually I see quite a diverse range especially from from a gender perspective so mm-hmm. what is the current music industry like for for gender equality mm-hmm. for for ethnicity equality mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff at the moment yeah I think um, so on the gender side of things I think what I'm really starting to notice and obviously it's the forefront of everyone's minds because you know even our artists are getting involved in it um, I work with First Aid Kit and they were one of the artists to sign the petition for everything coming out of Sweden, you know, so kind of it's, it's always at the front of what we're thinking about. And, mm-hmm. and so I've kind of been trying to get a sense of it because I personally haven't had any situation where I felt like my gender came into play as far as m- me wanting to kind of get ahead or speak my mind or anything like that. But then again, maybe... I've been conditioned to not even notice those things. So it's hard to kind of, as a woman, to stand back and look at it mm-hmm. objectively. So, uh, the thing that I've noticed, there are a lot of men and women working at record labels or in the, in the industry, mm-hmm. but when it comes to getting to a certain level, right now, from my perspective, there are a lot more men. So there... Do you think, do you think that is a hangover from the fact that the people at the top, at the very, very top, mm. are people that came through it in the, for want of a better word, the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, where equality was a much, much bigger issue and there is still a slight, as I said, hangover from that time. I think it, it could come into play, absolutely, but I also think it's about... Um, it's about role models, it's about women themselves not putting themselves forward for, for roles or having that, not that they don't want to, but they, if you can't see somebody at a position that you potentially you know, could go into, if all you're looking around you're seeing old white men in those roles, mm-hmm. uh, then it's really difficult to place yourself there, I think. Um, so if we think about the structure that I've become accustomed to, a lot of the more admin heavy roles um, are actually taken up by women. I was at, here's a great example. Is that just because of availability or Um, are they better served? 
doing that? I don't know. What, I'm, what? I'm not sure. I mean, the women that we have working with us are incredibly organised, clever, creative women. But um, it's about, I think, the next level up, the next immediate level would be to be a manager. And it's interesting to speak to men at that same level and the drive, ambition, and the kind of this almost... Um, it's a bit obnoxious, the, the attitude to kind of push their careers forward. Whereas the, the women tend to kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a nurturing thing, I'm not sure, but they're kind of like, oh, I kind of have to earn it and I have to, you know, it, you tell me when rather than right. I'm doing this. That's just my experience. So then a really good example of when I just couldn't believe the lack of women was, I have a few examples. One is the Brit Awards. Right. I was sitting down at a table, very happy to be invited. Uh, I looked around and I was kind of on the, the more fun table, to be fair to everybody. Um, but I looked around and there was a table of 10 and I was the only woman. Right. I made a joke. I went, what, what is this? And, and my friend, guy that we worked with, said, welcome to the music industry. Haha. <laughs> and he was joking. But then I went, no, this is a problem. <laughs> and it's, I was invited based on, I had an artist, performing but also just being one of the more senior so so it you know it could have been that mm -hmm. a more senior woman was invited um yeah and i think so i'm lucky enough to have a really great managing director who's a woman and you know cassandra grace that i spoke about before is the president of the creative group incredible woman really authentic um and but still in that kind of leadership role mm -hmm. um so i can see these women doing their thing and even if it's you know subconscious kind of I could do that then you know it drives me forward whereas if you kind of go well those roles are for men I don't know it may not may not be something you consciously think about but I think it affects it so with that in mind mm. what's the what's the one bit of advice that you give to women who are yearning to get into the creative industries and I'm, I'm, I'm specifically saying creative industries because I mm -hmm. think this is important for people who want to get into fashion industries or the film industry mm -hmm. or anything like that. This isn't a music-specific thing. Yeah. Um, so my biggest thing is that nobody's going to do it for you. You can be headstrong without feeling like you're a bitch. Um, you... It's just advice for anyone. It's like you have to carve out your own career. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not know what the end game is, but know what the next step is. Um, and something that, as a woman, and you know, working my way up, the the biggest thing for me is don't mimic what you see as the women in charge, the women that are emulating the men. You know, you know, you don't need to be masculine. You don't need to be. Um, bitchy or angry if you are those things that's great be that but be authentic <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't say great <laughs> but yeah, right, yeah. well but if you are those things that's fine but it's be authentic and true to yourself whilst being a leader and, and owning a room and having being confident but also like support other women around you and support the men as well to be better yeah so because I've never had a situation where I felt backed into a corner or um, or less than because I'm a woman, but I see it. I see other. I see how it affects other women, and it's not okay. No. So we all just need to kind of all together as a collective, not just women, men and women, yeah. do it together. Yeah.
you've got involved with um, aspects of mental health mm-hmm. in the music industry. Um, I'm going to hold my hand up and say I don't know a lot about what you were involved with, mm-hmm. so I thought it's an opportunity for you to sell it a <laughs> bit yes. and kind of just talk about that side of things. I am, yeah. I am, I'm going to hold my hand up and say someone who has had uh, various times over the past 10, 15 years where I've been one of those people that hasn't said anything when there has been a thing to say. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see more people talking about it now. Um, so yeah, so what was going on there? Okay, so bit of a backstory is uh, Sony decided a little while ago to pull together a collection of people from across a number of departments and labels to be the voice of the people that worked here so that the senior management team weren't the only ones deciding the culture of the company. So whereas they were, you know, signing off everything else, it was like, what are the things that matter and affect your day to day? So I was asked to be part of it. And as kind of time went on, uh, it was me and one other guy that ended up kind of pushing everything forward. It's called What If. And as part of that, we decided to uh, run through a number of issues, so mental health being one of them. And it was something that kept coming up. And actually when it came to pulling together ideas around mental health, so many people wanted to get involved. So many people had ideas, so many people had commentary around it. It was actually incredible. Um, It became beyond all of us. Like it just became bigger than all of us. So um, what we decided was, it was really ambitious at the time, but actually Mm -hmm. when it came together, it was really easy because so many people were supportive. Um, So we were like, let's do, let's host a panel never done that before no record company in the UK has hosted a mental health panel before we were the first ones to do it which was pretty cool Um, and we you know we partnered with mind as our charity for the year so Sony music employees choose a charity and that was it Um, and and so they kind of helped us as well so they so the CEO came and spoke and we had uh, a trauma and addiction addictions let me say that again, trauma and addictions therapist come in and speak. Um, and then randomly, via it was actually via Twitter, um, uh, we had Dr. George Marsgrave, who's a um, university lecturer, but also um, co-author of the study, Can, Musician, Can Music Make You Sick? Uh, which is all about musicians and their mental health um, based on the instability of the industry and money and everything else. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Anyway, I couldn't believe how quickly it came together uh it was still of course of a few months but how involved everyone wanted to be sony but um paid for the whole thing so uh, you know everything that we needed to set it up um and everything around it and then um and then we initially invited staff and realized there was interest outside of just the people that work in these in this building so i put it on uh she said so which is an all-female community within the music industry right to try and back in what we were saying mm-hmm. before. Um, I had a lot of interest there. And then um, we kind of, I put it, a few of us put it out on our you know, socials um, and ended up having 300 people, uh, you know, in the room listening to this panel discussion, which actually ended up including Professor Green because he's the um, ambassador for, patron for Calm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was, and it was fantastic. Um, it was a really, really good evening. And then off the back of that, actually, Cobalt um, invited Dr. George Musgrave to speak. And then, uh, you know, BIM kind of recreated it. Um, 
for their students. So I think like it was the nice, it was a nice catalyst for other people to get involved and kind of recreate it or do their version of it. Um, Were you all quite surprised at how much of a universal topic it was? How how many people got came out and kind of said that this is important? That mm -hmm. do you think that that's something that's that's the best way of putting this. Do you think that there is something inherent in current society that is causing it to boom somewhat? Or do you think it's just now we're starting to talk about something that's always been there? I think it's always been there. I think people are more focused on the individual, so things are becoming more apparent. And I think there's an environment in which you can actually talk about these things. So, another, so, so as part of the focus on mental health, um, the company paid for uh, 16 people in the building to become mental health first aiders. So I'm trained up, we do a two day course and it's like, it's just like first aid, your first protocol for someone that's not having a very good time and for whatever reason needs, you know, needs help mm -hmm. that isn't going to be HR. Not that there's anything wrong with HR, but you know, it can be a bit faceless if you don't have a friend there or peer. Or like, you know, isn't your line manager. So you can go and so, you know, they're all plastered up around the building and it's, you go and speak to them and and, um, and we're kind of trained to be first response, you know. Somebody, there's no reason why this industry is any different to any other where people have panic attacks, people have anxiety, you know. Anyway, so we're, so that is another part of it as well. Um, but I think we're starting to create an environment here where um, it's okay to talk about how you're feeling rather than just, yeah, I'm great and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And I think our industry with all of the like, late nights, alcohol, drugs um just like the demand on your life becomes a it's a lifestyle not a career you know um all of that affects your mental state and so mm -hmm. i think we just need to collectively put safeguards in place mm. the music industry for me is like my family so it can be difficult mm. <laughs> it can be stressful but I have looked, you know, I've looked around and gone, would I want to be anywhere else? Absolutely not. Could I, could I do anything else? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to. Um, I think it feels a little bit chaotic at the moment, but I think we'll get there. Um, but yeah, feels like family. Would you ever go alone, go it alone? Would you ever go freelance? Oh, I've thought about this, yeah. Um, yeah, I think if, 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 if I lined myself up right, I would, yeah. But right now, um, you know, there's such a support network here and there's so many good reasons to be part of Columbia and Sony. Um, so yeah, TBC. <laughs> Cheers. How do? Nice. Nice one. <laughs>
do get in touch with me at the podcast behind the business pod at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time, or at least you'll hear me next time. Cheers, bye.